chapter this evening, we'll just be looking at the opening eight verses. Esther had been given by Mordecai, her relation, a mission impossible. You remember how Mordecai had learnt of the wicked plan of a man called Haman, who out of pride and envy wasn't just going to uh, destroy Mordecai, who wouldn't worship him, but he wanted to wipe out all the Jewish people in Persia and to the ends of the earth. The day had been set in the law of the Medes and Persians. Every Persian person was given a day when they would be licensed by the, by the authorities to kill their neighbours. They were to go out into the streets and all the Jews that they met, they were to put them to death. We saw in the last chapter how Mordecai himself had put on sackcloth and ashes. It was that visible statement of him bowing to God and crying out to God. We saw him go in his sackcloth and ashes to the king's gates because he has a plan in mind. He's convinced that Esther has been put in the palace for such a time as this. And in chapter 4 and verse 8, we saw Mordecai said to, to Esther, go to the king and beg his favour. And Esther, we saw last time, rose to that challenge. She said in 4.16, I will go. She agrees to go. And we saw her going on this new path with, with uh, new strength as she seeks to obey this direction for her life. And we saw last time as we ended uh, the previous chapter that Esther seems from that moment of taking that step of obedience. She's the one now calling the shots, as it were. And she says to Mordecai in 3.16, Go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. So here is Esther, and she knew exactly what to do when she was confronted with this crisis, and what an example she is for us. Uh, when it speaks about her here calling upon all of the Jews in the land, and she herself and her young women having a fast wasn't that they were interested in their figure, they were interested in crying out to God. They wanted God to intervene in this crisis that there was. Which is a challenge. There are many experiences of life, aren't there, that bring us to our wits' ends. And here the people of God are giving us direction what to do. We are to pray. And as we look at these opening eight verses of chapter uh, 5 this evening, we want to notice four things about the prayers of the, of the Church of God in Persia. First of all, we're reminded that fervent prayer must come first. In chapter 4.16, she said, Hold the fast for three days. I and my women will pray, and then I will go. Do you see the order that Esther puts in to this situation that's before, before her. She and the young women and all of the people will engage in fervent prayer. And that's picked up then in our chapter this evening, or in our verses, 
you'll see that chapter 5 uh, begins with a note on the third day. The third day of the fast. Three days. The church has been laying aside the natural priorities of life, of foods and drink, and they're engaged in prayer. Esther had a great and a weighty assignment, but she knew that there was an even more weighty assignment for her. She had a great task to do and go to the king, but she knew she had a greater task now, and it was to go to God in prayer. Prayer would come first in her life before she would go and try to carry out the plan. And that's a pattern that we see right throughout the scripture when there's a challenging situation, when there's a crisis for the church. First there's prayer and then there's activity. The same in Nehemiah. You remember when Nehemiah went back to the city of Jerusalem and saw the, uh, or heard rather of the, of the city in disarray. The first thing he did was pray. It's the same in Daniel's life. When there was danger for the church in Daniel's day, he didn't give up his prayer, but he increased his praying. It's the same in the New Testament. When the apostles were arrested, there was a crisis for the church, and the, and the church went to fervent prayer. It was a pattern even in our Lord's life. When he ministered on this earth, he would have nights in prayer. He had a great crisis coming for him, laying out his life for his sheep. And he needed the help of heaven in his human nature for that task. And so Esther and these young women and all the rest are an example to us. Fervent prayer must come first. And we need to remind it of that because we live in a, in, a, in a culture and in a world that says that mankind has all the strength he needs to do what he needs to do. We can fix it is the chorus of man. We look all around about us. There's a crisis in the nation. The church has got this great responsibility to shine out in the midst of it. And our first importance and our priority is to pray. There's a crisis in our city of hundreds of thousands of lost men and women. And it's our crying to God that is our first responsibility. It's the same in our individual lives. Maybe you've got some crisis, some very difficult thing. It's easy just to plunge in and try and sort it. But here's a wonderful example to us. A fervent prayer must come first. And you notice that the praying of the church wasn't any sort of flippant praying. It was deeply passionate praying. For three days, night and day, they're laying aside the, the, the basics of life because they know they need the help of heaven. And what a challenge that is for us as we pray in the life of the church. Let our prayers be filled with such seriousness. Secondly, fervent prayer brings courage for the crisis. You see, prayer is, yes, the offering up of our desires to God in the name of Jesus Christ for things that are agreeable to his will. 
And one of the things that God has said and promised to his people, that his church will have all the resources that she needs for her task in the world. And so prayer is not, maybe you've been to some of these great stately homes and uh, somewhere in the main, day, the main living room there's a little bell or a, a push button bell or a cord that people pull to bring some sort of uh, servant from the basement up to provide their basic needs. Well, prayer's not like that. It's not some bell for us to push that somehow would have God come at an instant to meet our little needs. Prayer is more like a wartime intercom, intercom where we're calling in heaven's help. And what help Esther received after this time of the church pleading with God. You can see that the, the courage that, uh, she, that she had for this crisis. She got the courage to go into the king unannounced. That doesn't sound a big deal to us, but it's a massive thing to go into the king unannounced meant death. Uh, in, 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 the, in Persian culture, the king liked to be known as the one who knew all the details of his, of his empire and was ready when asked to, uh, to sort out every problem. And so the worst thing you could do for a king of Persia was to come in unannounced and present your problem. They didn't like that. In fact, there's an inscription that has been discovered in archaeology of uh, these Persian kings sitting on their throne and they had behind them uh, a large burly servant with a, with a large axe and the axe was for unannounced guests coming in and daring to come into his throne room and yet that's exactly what Esther is going to do she says I'll go in to the king think of what it meant for Esther to, to even broach this subject. Think of the courage that was needed. Not only was it the axe man standing behind the, the king. But think of what this means for Esther. She's basically going to be saying to uh, Ahasuerus. Actually I haven't been telling you the truth all these past times. I'm, I'm not who you think I am. I'm a Jew. She kept that secret. Don't imagine he liked that very much. And she's going to go and spill the beans on Haman. Haman, you remember, was Ahasuerus' right-hand man. And Esther's basically going to be going in and say, do you see your Haman fella? He is a complete monster. But Esther is as bold as brass. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace in front of the king's quarters while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. Up to this point, Esther hasn't, I think it's fair, fair enough to say, she hasn't really shown much courage, but now she's a woman of unspeakable courage. Where did she drum that up from? Well, surely it came from God through the fervent prayers of herself and the people of God. You see, 
while prayer is us offering up our desires to God, even in the even in the exercise of praying, there is something happens in our lives. We're acknowledging who we are coming to, this great God of all the earth, filled with mighty power and ready to help us. So Esther's filled with courage for her crisis because of this fervent prayer. We see the same thing in the New Testament. In Acts chapter 4, we saw it a long time ago now in the early chapters of Acts. But do you remember when Peter and John were in prison and were told that the church prayed for them? What did they pray? Spring them, God. Get them out? No. In Acts 4, 29, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And that's exactly what happened. Because fervent prayer uh, fills the people of God with courage for the crisis. So maybe you've got a crisis again this evening. Something that you're frightened about. How will you ever find courage for that step of obedience? Will you find courage from the living God as you cry out to him? Thirdly, in these opening verses, we're reminded that fervent prayer brings real wisdom. What does Esther need for this mission impossible? She needs courage. She's got that. But she also needs wisdom. And again, there's a wonderful balance here in this part of the narrative. It's not just left at prayer. We're not just told Esther prayed and everything was sorted. And it's not just that Esther had a plan. There's a wonderful balance of prayer. And in fact, it was uh, the praying that helped Esther prepare. Now, you remember the situation that Esther's in. She's to go into the king and the, the, the real distinct possibility is that she will have her head removed from her body. She's got courage. I want to show you also in these verses that she's also got real wisdom. We could just pass over it, but it says in in, in verse 1 again, Esther put on her royal robes. That was a good call. That was a very wise choice for Esther. We know exactly from archaeology, biblical archaeology of this particular time and this situation, uh, what it was that Esther walked into. She walked into a long, narrow hall, 200 foot long. Uh, It was in large colonnade-like pillars the whole way down this long hall. The, the, The people who are coming to the king come in through a door at one end of this long, narrow hall, and at the other end, the king would sit on his throne with his henchman behind him. And she puts on her royal robes. It wasn't simply a statement, I'm the queen. Uh, robes in those days uh, that, uh, that a, uh, would be something that a husband would give to a wife, particularly in this royal setting. It was the king who had given these royal robes to Esther. 
And they were a mark and a symbolism, a symbol of a husband's protection, of a kingly protection. And so when the doors open at the end of the narrow hallway, and uh, King Ahasuerus is interrupted from whatever is he's engaged in in the court in that day, the king knows in a flash not only who it is, but he knows that Esther wants something that only he can give. He knows in a flash it's his queen and she has some need in her life. That's why she doesn't get the axe treatment. That's why instead of the axe, she gets the scepter in verse 2. And when the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court, she won favour in his sight, and he held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. What a wise woman she was. She was full of wisdom. The king says to her in verse 3, What is it, Queen Esther? He knows there's something. He knows there's some need in her life that she's she's, she's, uh, approaching him with. But then Esther's wisdom comes out in what she does subsequent to this. The king says to her, What is it, Queen Esther? What's your request? It will be given to you up to half my kingdom. Well, look what Esther does. She doesn't just blurt out, well, actually, there's a problem for us Jews. She, she says, uh, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a feast that I have prepared for the king. That was following Persian protocol. If you had a great request to make of someone, uh, You provided a feast for them before you brought your question. It was a bit, I suppose, like whining and dining. You're not supposed to do that in business anymore, but you know the scenario. Someone wants to sell a lot of stuff to a company and they organize a big free gather up and feed them up and fill them up and then say, well, actually, would you like to buy all this stuff? Well, it wasn't quite like that, but it was that Persian protocol. If you had a bigger ask, you provided a feast. And even in providing this feast, uh, Ahasuerus is knowing Esther's got something really important that she wants to ask of me. Uh, and, that, and so we read there in verse 5 that they all dashed off to the, the feast that Esther's already prepared. And again the king asked in verse 6 as they were drinking wine after the feast the king said to Esther he knows that she's got a wish because she's approached them and because she's put on this big spread it shall be granted you. What is your request? Even the half of my kingdom doesn't mean that literally. He said he's definitely saying to her, "I'm ready to give you a great deal." Then Queen Esther answered, "Well, what would you answer?" Well, you would think. Well, I would think. Well, this is the moment. Soften the wee bit and tell him now. But Esther doesn't. She says again to him. If I find favour in the sight of the king, verse 8, and if it please the king to grant my wish and fulfil my request, let the king and Haman come to the feast that I will prepare for them, and tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Oh, what wisdom is it? Over and over, she's a woman of wisdom. 
and it's been granted to her by God in response to the praying of God's people. She answers so wisely because heaven's help has been given to her. You know that lovely promise in James chapter 1 and 15. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. Isn't that encouraging? Uh, there are many situations we have crises in our lives, and we're not sure how to handle it. Esther, I'm sure, wasn't sure, but she... She worked out how to handle it, as help came from heaven. And so, in the situation of your life, if you don't know how to handle some situation, well, ask God, say to him, Lord, you said if anybody lacks wisdom, and I lack it, I can ask you, and you'll give generously, without reproach. So, here's the wisdom that God gives and that's so applicable for the church today and for us here. We have a, a mission impossible in seeking to reach a lost community. We're not going to come in by general invitation. But we need to ask God to show us. And ask God to give us wisdom. Not rely on our own, but ask for heaven's help. Fourthly and finally... Fervent prayer is powerful. Fervent prayer is powerful. Now, of course, there is no power in prayer by itself. You sometimes hear people uh, saying that prayer changes things. Oh, prayer is very powerful. As if it's praying that somehow as this sort of emanates this mystical power. Of course it's not, but prayer is the means for us to seek the help of heaven and heaven's power, God's power and God's strength for our situ situation. And as the church prayed in Esther's day, oh what mighty power was at work. There was a powerful answer, the power of God was evident. Think again through this scenario, here's Esther with a death threat. But look what happens. The, the king's heart is drawn to her. Even the way it's recorded for us here, the way he speaks to her. What is it? Uh, what is it, Queen Esther? Uh, what's your request, Queen Esther? Uh, Ahasuerus is, is favorably, favorably disposed to Esther. You might say, well, she was his wife. But you remember what we've seen so far? He had a palace full of uh, women and Esther hasn't been in his thoughts for a long time. But he's favorably disposed to her at this moment. Up to half the kingdom, Esther. Anything you want, Esther, within reason, he was saying. And God had brought that about. It was power from heaven that had come at the praying of God's people. It's an Old Testament example of a praying church being a powerful thing. So the Persian church was praying and the king's heart was turned. 
the Persian church was praying and we see the next time that it led to the downfall of Haman. The Persian church was praying and the people of God were rescued. We'll see more about God willing the next time about uh, Haman. Uh, see at the end of the chapter that he has this mighty uh, gallows built and uh, gallows actually isn't a, a, a good translation. It, it's, it's picturing an image in your mind that wasn't the reality in Persia. Uh, a big high pole would be a better picture in your mind. Uh, the Persians didn't execute people via a gallows. Um, you remember the, the bloke who was standing behind the king with his implement, that's how they got rid of people. And then they used this pole to display them. And Haman's got this huge pole that everybody would be able to see Mordecai. But it's not going to be Mordecai who's going to be there, is it? It's going to be Haman himself. Because Esther is filled with courage and wisdom and she goes in and God answers the prayers of his people. The king is favourable and the people of God will find blessing. It's a simple reminder to us that the praying of the church of God brings mighty and powerful changes. We mightn't always see it in our day and the, and the temptation would therefore uh, be for us to lay it aside or try something else but it's the means that God has given to his church that we might reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ to pray because it brings down the power of hell. He can change that unconverted friend or your unconverted family member. He changed the heart of Ahasuerus to be favourable. Well, can he change the heart of men and women to trust in Jesus Christ? He is mighty and powerful and able to change what is seemingly unchangeable. So the church prayed and God worked. But there's something else in this little section that we should see as well. We should always see a way to Christ in the scriptures. And sometimes it's very direct and sometimes it's by way of contrast. And as we think of this scenario by way of contrast, we can easily see uh, the wonder of the blessing that is ours and been able to pray because of Jesus Christ. You see, our king is not like King Ahasuerus. No one was allowed into his presence. Jesus Christ invites us into his presence. He says to us, we read it earlier, that we're to come boldly. We don't have outward robes or regalia to put on to come into God's presence, because the Christian has the royal robes of Christ's righteousness. And heaven holds out its scepter of acceptance to us. He's, our king is willing to hear us because he paid the price that we might approach God. Friends, our day in some ways is very similar to Esther's. The kingdom is in danger. The enemies run amok. And God gives his church this great weapon to call in 
the might and power of God. May God give us grace for whatever our mission and possible is. We men and women prayer. Amen. Well, let's sing praise to God from Psalm 55, singing 1 to 3 and 17 and 18. O God, give ear unto my prayer. Hide not from my cries. O listen now and answer me. I rest this moment with sigh. Psalm 55, 1 to 3 and 17 and 18. Let us praise God. Oh God, give ear
We thank you that because of Jesus Christ, your royal scepter, as it were, has reached out to us, that another has stood in our place and taken the wrath that we deserve, so that we're welcomed like children to a father. Forgive us, Father, when we do not make use of this great gift as we ought to, as we might. We say with your disciples of old, Lord, teach us to pray. We live in a nation where there is crisis of morality and spirituality. Help us to pray. We live in a, a days when the church is surrounded by crisis. Help us to pray. We live with crises in our own lives of various sorts. Help us to pray. For we know that in doing so, your name is glorified and that help comes from heaven. We pray, Lord, that you would enable us. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the help of God, the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Amen.